What is going on, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Pardon the Disruption. Just wanted to go ahead and give you guys a little bit of information. This episode is brought to you by Tony Javier with 10X TV. Real quick, going to go ahead and get you into this. I'm Matthew Potter. I'm your host. I'm your short sale guy, hedge fund connection, and I'm also the co-founder of The Real Family Tree at Real Brokerage. Go ahead and reach out to me for more information on any of those. Real quick, going to go ahead and give you a rundown on how we do things around here. We have four of the brightest and most available on a Thursday afternoon that are going to go through five predetermined questions, and they are going to give us 45 seconds of their best answer. After that, chop it up for two minutes. I will go ahead and reward points based on either favoritism or the best answer. It totally depends on on today. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and start this off with introductions. We're going to start with Steve Trang, who I kicked over to his office. What's up, everybody? Steve Trang. You can see I'm working from my cubicle today. I had a squatter in my studio when I came into the office today. Um, but... You know, we're launching something fun, something big. I think you guys uh, might be interested. If you want to check it out, get first notice. Go to stevetrangtelegram.com. We will let you guys know when we launch our new thing coming up in May. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. You definitely look great in your office. We're super glad to have you over there. Next up, we have the always fashionable Eric Brewer. What's up, everybody? Eric Brewer uh, out of South Central PA close cousin of South Central LA, um, here to do my best to make fun of Steve Trang for the next 57 to 60 minutes. Um, just happy to be here. Awesome. Good to have you back, Eric. We appreciate it. Next up, we have RJ Bates. What's going on, boss? Introduce yourself. What's going on, guys? Um, a little bit behind the scenes uh, here. Steve, I'm glad that you have a squatter and not a squirter. <laughs> these are the kind of conversations we have behind the scenes before we get started um rj bates host of the titanium vault podcast we have epic guests on there weekly like leon g barnes the most informed man in real estate it's a 56 minute interview where he talks about pizza hut xfl and the usfl super informative so tune into that looking forward to today's show Outstanding. Last, certainly not least, we have Chris C.J. Jefferson. Go ahead and introduce yourself, boss. Chris Jefferson, Richmond VA, charged up University, the U. Uh, shout out to Miami University, man. Don't uh, don't find us. Don't find us. Right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just here so I don't get fined, man. I'm, I'm excited to be here, participate, and uh, and get active today. Oh, man, it's going to be a fun one today. All right, we're going to go ahead and start off with our first question. If you were Adam Silver, how would you handle the situation of the Mavs tanking to secure a better draft pick? We're going to go ahead and start start this off with Steve. What you got? So I think uh, there's a couple different things here, right? First, Mark Cuban has a history of tanking. This is not the first time he's tanked, right? So he's got a history. The other thing, he's got super deep pockets. You really cannot find him enough money. The fact that he's a billionaire, there is no amount of money you can find him where like he won't pay it. So really, the only way you can hurt him then is to penalize him for tanking. And so uh, what I was looking online before, if this is accurate, they've got about a 3% chance right, of having uh, a, a, a number one pick or something along those lines. I think if you were just to go from 3% to 2% and split that other 1% to everyone else, I think that'd be a pretty sufficient penalty. To kind of like let everyone know that this is unacceptable. I think a lot of this also, not only is he demonstrated that Dallas Mavericks are a bunch of quitters, but he's operating as a bad faith actor. If I made a deal with CJ and the last minute I'm going to manipulate the situation so I don't have to honor my deal with CJ, I think that's pretty, pretty bad faith and it should be heavily penalized. All right. All right. Pretty solid answer there. Apparently the change of scenery is helping you out there, Steve. All right. Next up. Eric, what are your thoughts? Um, so I think one thing from a strategic perspective, it made all the sense in the world. Dallas was tanking uh, for the last 30 games up until the last game. Um, they really didn't have any different outcome that last game than they did uh, the 30 games before that. Most of the speculations, the fact that he sat 
his two stars in that final game. If they won, they were probably in. If they lost, they were out. So from a strategic perspective, to go you know into the play-in tournament and get booted out probably doesn't make sense. Um, I think the key there was that it changed uh, a draft pick. They had traded a draft pick, and if they were out of the playoffs, it was protected. If they were in, it was out, something to that effect. So um, from a culture perspective, I hate it. Luca was pissed. Anybody on there that competes always believes they have a chance if they're just given an opportunity. So I think anybody on that roster wanted to make the playoffs. Culturally, I think it sucks. Strategically, I can't disagree. Very good insight. Like it. Uh, RJ, got any thoughts on this one? <laughs> yeah, so I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan because I live here in DFW. And my question to Mark Cuban is, is why didn't you just go out to the center logo, piss on it, and then flip us all off as fans? <laughs> you pathetic loser, okay? I mean, this is embarrassing as a fan. You have two of the best players in the NBA in Kyrie Irving and Luka, and you just decide to quit. And I agree with Eric. You didn't have to change anything. You were already losing, so you should have just sent them out there and just lost anyways. But because you did what you did, I think that they have to come down with the hammer for the reputation of the NBA, okay? And case in point, both 10 seeds won last night. So we still had a chance, Mark, you fucking loser. So here's what you do. No, hold on. I'm not done. Here's the penalty. Whatever draft pick the Mavericks get, you give it away to someone else in a second lottery. So you lose the draft pick. You make him give a public apology. And by him, I mean Mark Cuban. And last, and certainly not least, an apology to the fans by refunding anyone that bought tickets to those last two games. Hit them in the pocketbook, give the money back, because they didn't pay to see a damn G League game like he turned it into. Ooh, strong words there. All right, CJ, what about you, boss? Yeah, I just think it's corny, man. I mean, it's a competitive sport. It's a competitive game. You know, to send a team out there and intentionally to tank, I think, is disgusting. But this is a problem that's not you know, exclusive to the Dallas Mavericks. I think it's exclusive to sports in general, professional sports and, you know, dealing with lottery picks and, 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 you know, things of that nature. So I just think it's a bad look for the league. I think it's a bad look for the Mavericks. I think, you know, Cuban himself definitely deserves some sanctions uh, and something, you know, something that has to happen to, to curb this from continuing to take place. I get Eric's point in terms of strategy, but uh, I think this is the catalyst that's going to cause Luca to not, uh, want to re-up in Dallas, man. I think he's going to want to get out uh, for sure after this and go to a more competitive team. And I don't know what Kyrie was trying to do in Dallas. Uh, neither one of these guys played any defense. So I agree with RJ's point. They were going to lose the game anyway, quite frankly. How does a Dallas what are the rules? find a way to be more hated than Jerry Jones? I mean, Mark Cuban literally <laughs> had to sit there and be like, how can I be worse than Jerry Jones? <laughs> I mean, the other thing I would say that you could do is is take away one thing that he loves, and that's attending the games. So that's another thing. I would give him a year-long suspension where he could not attend the games. Yeah, it deserves some sanctions, man. It's just it's just lame, man. People spend a lot of money to go to games. People spend a lot of money supporting these teams. And, you know, to, to intentionally take a game to try to get into a better lottery pick uh, when they're likely not going to get the first pick anyway, uh, the team's not going to have some drastic improvement from a lottery pick. Um, I don't know. I just think it's really corny from a, from a fan perspective and a competitor perspective. What were you trying to say, Eric? What are the rules? There are no rules. Like, what's the, what's the act? Remove. Okay, so like, I mean, it's it's the end of the, just like salespeople, right? Salespeople will always work towards their pay plan. If there's no specific rules that govern whether or not he can tank the last, I think that the the biggest point was. They, they had a trade where if, if they fell out of the playoff picture, their first round pick is protected. Right. If they made the right. playoffs, the, the, the trade was gone. So it wasn't about advancing to a lottery pick. It's the difference between having Protecting a first, first round, round pick. pick and not having a first Yeah. 100%. So, again, from a strategic perspective, if all you're looking at is are we a better team next year if we lose this game, the answer is yes. And the reality was is when you look at the chemistry on that team for me, they're not going deep into the playoffs, um, which is crazy because Luca led the NBA in first quarter scoring. Kyrie led the NBA in fourth quarter scoring. And somehow they were, I don't know, what was it, seven and 20 or something since Kyrie joined? 
But I think like um, was, for every really competitor, right? Fun. It's not about winning the game. Like we all want a shot. We work all year. We go to off season. We eat good in the off season. We work out like all these other things just to have a shot at winning a championship. And the ownership waved the waved the white flag, said you guys have no chance of winning a championship. So we're just gonna protect our pick. Here's my yeah. thing. If you asked anyone that knows about the Golden State Warriors history, what is like some of their top five moments? They're going to name their championships, but they're also going to name back in 08 when the Golden State were, I think it was 08 or 11, when the Golden State Warriors were the eighth seed and beat the number one seed, Dallas Mavericks. I'm sure Mark Cuban remembers that. That's one of their greatest moments in franchise history. And we just robbed our fans of that right to be able to see Luka and Kyrie compete in the playoffs. That's where it is. I mean, I, I don't care. There's no way you can defend Mark Cuban's actions. Yeah, there's this whole issue now where they're having these conversations as a team from from with the GM and management of can they retain Luca or not? <clears throat> this guy's a competitor, man. This kid plays basketball literally year round. He goes to the Euro League every summer and plays. He's a gamer. This guy loves to play basketball. And I, again, I think this is going to be the thing that makes them lose him uh, from this team. I get it from a strategy point from a GM or owner, uh, but you got to be Mark Cuban came in and fancied himself as a player's first owner. Uh, that's how he came into the league. And that's how he took ownership. Uh, and we're seeing that he's now made this more of a business uh, and I get that, but he's made this more of a business than player first. And I think it's going to come back to bite him pretty bad. Leon here says that this is the Kyrie curse. I don't know. He doesn't <laughs> seem to be a very big Kyrie fan. <laughs> point point to Leon on that one. Um, so home field advantage on this one, RJ, the passion is just <laughs> insane on this. Um, you know, feel bad for you and Cassie having to spend, you know, that money on those horrible tickets there. <laughs> um, so we're going to go ahead and give that round to RJ. Everybody made valid points, though, and I do like uh, Eric playing devil's advocate on this because there isn't a rule against it. There's not. I mean, out of this, though, most likely there will be. And maybe maybe that's maybe that's the change that we see out of this. All right, next up, question two. When you're feeling down right now, what do you do to get your mind right? Start us off, RJ. So uh, I, I read this question, and it's kind of funny because I'm I'm going through some stuff myself personally, just uh, with with different things that have happened recently, and and just business, personal, in general, and and trying to find a way to, to kick whatever it is that I'm feeling on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, the best thing that I can do on a professional level is uh, dive into what I know I'm really good at. And, and for me, that's solving people's problems, uh, talking to them about their real estate, um, really trying to dive into the passion that I have with real estate. And on a personal level, it's being open and honest to the people in my life that I feel comfortable with expressing what I'm feeling right now, you know, saying, Hey, I, I, I don't like where I am uh, in, in many different aspects. I don't like the way that I'm feeling on a day-to-day -day basis and, and seeing what they tell me. And, and it's funny because a lot of their feedback has been, Hey, dive into what you're passionate about. So for me, that's what I'm currently doing to overcome the difficulties that I'm having. Nice. I, I like that answer, RJ. All right, CJ, what about you? How are you getting your mind right? Yeah, I think it's just acceptance that, you you know, life's about ups and downs, business, personal. All of it's about ups and downs. You know, you for me, me, you know, every time I'm in one of these moments where, you know, I'm struggling or I'm not feeling the, you know, the, 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 the you know, the excitement or certain things, sometimes you got to tell yourself your own hero's journey story. You know, regardless of where you're at in that particular moment, whatever you've been through, uh, has been critically important to wherever it is that you are right at this moment, whether it's good or bad. It took certain things that you had to overcome to get there in the first place. We've all got our own hero's journey story. We've all been through different things, you know, professionally, personally, to get us to the point that we're at when we're dealing with any adversity in that particular moment. So sometimes you just got to remind yourself who the fuck you are. Shout out to RJ. You got to remind yourself who you are. Tell yourself your own hero's journey story. And you got to keep plugging at this thing and taking steps forward every single day, personally and professionally. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Next up, Steve, what about you? What are you doing to get your mind right? So 
generally speaking, you know, things are normally pretty good. My mind's right, I would say, 99 plus percent of the time. But there is like, you know, one, two or three times a year where it just feels really bad. Right. It's just like, man, like, what the hell is going on? And usually like a stacking of multiple things happening. In those instances, I have two poisons. Uh, one is a Butterfinger Blizzard from Dairy Queen on the way home. Right. Friday afternoon, stopping by Dairy Queen. Right. That's my poison. That's one. And if it's really bad, then I go hit the no limit game at, at the casino. I just hang out at the casino, making sure I'm keeping all the negative vibes with me and not bringing that negative energy into the household. Oh, before I finish, shout out to the team, right? If you guys are watching this on YouTube, this video looks ridiculously good. So I just want to give a quick shout out to Manny. It looks amazing. Anyway. <laughs> not going to lie. It's super clean. Like it is. It's super clean. And also going to go ahead and let you all know, Steve is not lying. I've texted him before. Yo, I'm at the casino. And I'm like, dude, I'll talk to you in a day, bro. <laughs> 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 All right, Eric, what about you, boss? Um, yeah, I'd say historically, one of the things I'm less proud of than maybe others is the beginning of my career. I was horrible at dealing with stress and adversity. I'd find myself, if there was challenges or stress that I was dealing with at work, I would party. I would drink. I'd try and drown my sorrows. And, you know, at the end of the day, it might cloud some of that anxiety for a short period of time, but it only made the situation, whatever it was, worse. Um, and recently, uh, what I've been able to, to do to manage is, is really get um, a good handle on what's causing it. It's typically because I'm living too far in the future or I'm living too far in the past. Um, when I experience like regret, it's because I wish I was further along. Um, and a lot of times when I feel anxiety, it's because I'm too worried about something in the future that I don't necessarily have a ton of control over. And the one way that I've been able to be more present is through, frankly, prayer. I was introduced uh, less than a year ago. Um, I had a mentor that was like, man, you need to just give that responsibility to God. And I was like, what? It's not really in your control anyway. So just have more faith. We spent like two hours trying to dive into how I could be um, a better observer and, and, and be better in my faith. And meditation and prayer for me have really calmed some of that sort of voices in my head that I hear telling me that I'm not good enough. And it leads to more gratitude. And I find that... Uh, if I look around the things that I have today, 10 years ago, I would have killed for and uh, sort of helps me put things in perspective. I'm not going to lie. I mean, just getting my feelings out to Mark Cuban has already made me feel better. So <laughs> realistically, maybe the answer is just letting the person who let you down, let them know that you know, you're really disappointed. <laughs> I want to give a free resource to everybody. I haven't been as on top of it in recent years or recent months as I should be, but uh, transcendental meditation for me, uh, my lowest points uh, was extremely, extremely critical. You can go to tm.org. Again, tm.org. Uh, they work with people all over the country, regardless of your income level, and will give you uh, a coach to help you learn how to meditate. Uh, definitely something I think people should look into. Uh, before you wrap up here, Matt, I mean, just real quick, right? Like this, what we do, it's it's glorified on the outside. It's tough on the inside, right? Like we, we talk about finding your tribe, finding your community. If it's really tough, like reach out to somebody. I mean, there's like hotlines of this. Like do not feel like you ever have to go through anything alone. Yeah, that's a really, really solid point. Anybody else got anything that they want to chime in on this one? Hey, good. It's difficult. Right. Like it's, it's challenging for people to share that stuff. I would just say to echo what Steve said is too often. I think we, 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 we brag about and we share and we're, we're eager to, to, you know, allow people to participate in the celebration, but we feel like we have to conceal and hide and put up this difficult facade. Um, when we're struggling, the reality is just be willing to be vulnerable and share with people. And the majority of the time, um, just the act of sharing will make you feel better or on the other side of that sharing, maybe someone that can help you, you know, with whatever it is that you're going through. And we got to look into getting Dairy Queen to sponsor the show or Casino Arizona. <laughs> Y'all, I'm going to reach out to Casino Arizona right after this for you, Steve. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right. So not going to lie. Every one of you guys came with a great answer on that. I'm going to the chat on this one, and the chat has awarded it to Chris Jefferson. Um, 
everybody, you know, everybody, everybody had a solid uh, answer right there and agreed. You know, a lot of times we go ahead and glorify this, and then sometimes we don't. Um, we don't show we don't show the struggle side. So I like that you guys all touched on that. Um, next up, we have if you are quitting the company you're working for, what steps do you need to take to work for yourself? Start us off, CJ. Yeah, I mean, working for yourself, you got to first accept that it's not going to be as easy as you probably think. Uh, I think first things first, you know, people, when they go to work for themselves, you got to accept the fact that you've been used to having somebody mandate your schedule, tell you where to be, tell you what you need to do on a daily basis. And entrepreneurship literally looks nothing like that whatsoever. Uh, I would sit down and game plan. I would do something called time blocking. There's tons of videos about it on YouTube. You can sit down, start to block out your time and daily, uh, daily, uh, in 15, 30 minute increments and really get a handle on how you're going to be productive uh, inside your business. Uh, it's easy to be on this slippery slope in entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, I remember before I had an office a long time ago, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting at home, you're trying to work on your business. Next thing you know, you're watching Netflix, playing video games or uh, yelling at your TV like RJ, uh, trying to talk to Mark Cuban. And, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, I hope people really truly understand. I, I see people all the time. They fantasize about quitting their nine to five. They fantasize about firing their boss. And there's all this hype and excitement around that. Then they get out here, they get ready to go do stuff and, and they fall flat uh, because they don't have the discipline that was imposed on them uh, by an employer uh, because it's not self-discipline for their business. So uh, make sure you take that with you when you get started. Sorry about that. I had to time block you, CJ. Um, <laughs> next up, Steve, what about you? What are you doing? Uh, I mean, I'm definitely going to be compiling on my notes, keeping track of all the things I did. Uh, but then after that, learning from the stupid things I did when I did do this on my own is I would call every bank and get every loan possible. Uh, when you're a W-2 employee, you're 100% financeable. Right. You can get personal loans. You can get more credit cards and this and that for the rainy day situation. What I learned is as soon as I quit my job, I was no longer financeable. So <clears throat> this is a tough road ahead. Uh, I think time is a big issue. Money is the other issue. And so if you don't have access to capital, make sure you get as many lines of credit, access to credit cards before you quit your job because you are no longer bankable when you go from W2 to 1099. Ain't that the truth. All right, Eric, what about you? I was trying to decide how I wanted to respond to Steve's answer. And, and I think it's uh, a pretty decent response other than the fact it immediately adds pressure to starting this journey in the first place. So day one, you're already in debt. Um, that part, I'm not 100% sure I necessarily agree with, but uh, for certain, you are no longer bankable the day that you start your own business and may not uh, reasonably be bankable for at least two years, depending on the size of the loan that you want to take out. Certainly, probably not buying real estate within the first two years with the way that they analyze um, self-employed. Um, the first thing has got to be to get a mentor. The way that you know CJ referenced um, the, the, the dark side of being a business owner that most people don't share um, it's really difficult. One of the more challenging things is you're going at it alone, where typically when we work a nine to five or we have a boss or whatever, someone else is worried about the finances of the business. Someone else is worried about the office space. Someone else is worried about recruiting and hiring and training and culture and all of that other stuff. Too many people don't talk about the, the, the joy that comes along with being able to clock out at five o'clock and not worry about it until Monday at nine. Um, so my first piece of advice is be real sure this is exactly what you want to do. Um, there's no shame in staying at a nine to five. That's for sure. And number two would be to find some type of mentor um, that you can, you know, counsel with um, when certain certain things come up that you might not be certain how to handle. All right. Last but certainly not least, RJ, what are you going to do? Uh, first of all, shout out to Potter for giving CJ the points when me and CJ tied on uh, the hole there. Appreciate that. Love the, love the tiebreaker. Um, on this, 
Uh, first and foremost, I, I think you need to figure out exactly what it is that you're going to do, what strategy it is, because this is a real estate themed podcast. Obviously, you're going to be quitting that nine to five to do something in real estate. If that's wholesaling, flipping, whatever it is, make sure that you're picking one strategy and you're ready to take massive action with that. Your the action that you're going to take is going to be flawed. It's going to be imperfect. Make sure you stay consistent with that. And then eventually get to the point where you learn how to execute with those actions. Um, but until you're ready to, like everyone said on here, not be bossed around by someone else, not be told what to do, and you're ready to be your own boss, don't make that leap of faith. Uh, for me, the moment that I, I quit my job, there was never going to be another boss for me. And I knew that. And from there, it's just been imperfect act action for the past 13 years. You know, RJ reminds me of the mad rapper on those um, notorious B.I.G. He's just <laughs> always angry. 100%. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, but back to CJ's point, um, wow. you know, talking about having like a business plan, right? Like, I think there should be before you quit, you should come up with a business plan and then just realize after you make your business plan, it's going to be at least 10x harder than your business plan says at least yeah eric made a uh, a good point too i think before you quit your job like if i could reflect back i quit my job it was 2011 i believe like i wish i would have did more strategic planning before i left you know you don't know what you don't know i was in my early 20s at the time but uh just just that thing about being bankable is something that a lot of people don't think about because before they become an entrepreneur uh, then you go out, you want to try to buy a home and take advantage of, of the, the market, or you want to go out and do this and do that. Uh, and the bank looks at you and says, yeah, no, sorry, you're self-employed. Uh, and you don't really make any money. Your business makes money. Uh, you know, people don't talk about these things. Uh, people don't plan properly before they leave their job. I know, obviously, I didn't for sure as well. But that, that would be some great advice, man. Figure out exactly what your plan is. Like, if you're not if you're not trying to get at least 10 houses while you got a job, and take advantage of your income and things like that. Like you're, you're making grave mistakes. So hopefully people really listen to what everybody said here. All right. Two, two things on that, that I want to point out when the point was awarded to CJ, you were not tied with him, RJ. So I'm gonna start with that. This go around though, we are going to go ahead and Steve is going to go ahead and get this round because he is correct. I mean, that's one of the number one things. You're no longer bankable. I love that he brought that into the mix. Congratulations, Steve. Clearly, Thank the you. office is giving you much better answers. Um, Thank you. You know, since you're able to hold the audience over there. All right. Um, real quick, before we go on to our next question, we're going to kick it over to Steve. Steve, go ahead and talk to us uh, about our sponsor. Yeah, so uh, our sponsor today is 10X TV. Uh, go to t uh, tvwithtony.com. You want to get inbound leads calling you and get celebrity status in your market. Look no further than Tony Javier's 10X TV. Tony has been doing TV commercials to find consistent, motivated sellers for over a decade. It is one of the things that has allowed him to do over a 1,000 flips. He will use his proven TV commercial to get high-quality leads calling you and even set it up for you. Get in front of 10 times more people. 10 times faster, 10 times cheaper, with 10 times more credibility than any other marketing channel. Surprisingly, TV has little to no competition and <clears throat> can give you a steady flow of motivated seller leads. If you want to see why over 100 real estate investors use Tony to run the TV commercials, go to tvwithtony.com to see if there's a spot available in your market. Again, tvwithtony.com. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Next up, excited for this question. I want to see what everybody has to say about it. What do you think about the Houston apartment owner who lost 3,200 units to foreclosure last week? Start us off, Steve. Uh, so when the Fed rate hike occurred, my biggest concern was basically what's going to happen to all these commercial loans, right? Because the commercial loans are very rarely 25 or 30 years fixed. It's normally like three, five, seven year arms right with a balloon at the end and you got to refinance and so these people that are borrowing at two or three percent and having to re get another loan later on at eight percent with a higher dscr right where you have to have even more cushion how are they going to qualify for this 
I think this is the first major one where the guy couldn't get a refinance. The numbers no longer worked with the new loan. It's a pretty devastating number. I think this is the first that was probably going to be a significant amount of uh, apartments going into foreclosures with just the market we're in. So uh, I think that the apartment values are probably going to be available for 60% of what they are today in the next six to 24 months. It's kind of what I foresee in, in multifamily and potentially commercial as well. Very good insight. Eric, what about you? I think it's a natural result of the economic climate that we're in. I mean, we started talking about this probably six months ago when we saw interest rates rising and there was speculation about how it would impact specifically larger multifamily um, you know, syndicators and, and owners um, that might be carrying a substantial amount of bridge loans, right? Like we specifically talked about this situation. We also look up some of the articles. Um, one of the, the headlines in a, a Houston Gazette talks about rat infested apartment owner, right? Like it doesn't appear that this particular developer, or whoever was managing these units um, was doing a very good job of managing the cleanliness. Um, you know, these units were, were severely um, under maintained. So, you know, it's it's the natural results. Unfortunate for anybody that invested in those units. It's unfortunate for the residents of those units, because I'm sure it's going to cause a lot of turnover and, and uncertainty with, you know, who do they pay their rent to? Do they pay their rent? Do these issues get addressed? So it sucks, but it's going to create an opportunity for somebody else to buy up these 3,200 units, renovate them, get them restabilized. And uh, that's the nature um, of our economy. Great insight. I love the fact that you dug a little deeper there uh, about the condition of them. I was reading about that earlier today. All right, RJ, what about you? What are your thoughts on uh, this uh, apartment foreclosure? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's much of a surprise to most of us that have been around for the past decade or so. I mean, we have seen where multifamily, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, we've all been told if you're in single family, you're supposed to move on to multifamily. And, and we've seen that to a certain degree, none of these were deals that were being purchased. They were bought on speculation of appreciation and rent raises and the market continuing down the path that it was on. But looking historically, we knew that that could not be the case. We were already on the, the longest upswing ever. And, and so this eventually had to happen. Um, I think it's unfortunate because I agree with Steve. I think that this is going to just be the trend over the next probably couple of years because there are too many people that were new to multifamily that got in and purchased incorrectly off of speculation. Good insight, good insight. CJ, what you got for us, boss? Yeah, so look, apartment sales are down the most in 14 years, 74%. You've got a couple hundred billion uh, in debt that's going to need to be refinanced or paid off uh, here within the next couple of years. Uh, look, we all were kids at one point. You guys remember the game Musical Chairs? Uh, there's always that first person that doesn't get a seat. All right, uh, whoever this guy was, he's the first one. Uh, but there's a whole lot of people still left yeah. in the game. Uh, and I think a lot of people need to accept that the commercial industry right now is, is, is frankly in free fall and people aren't going to be able in a rising interest rate environment because like Steve said, right? Like these, these adjustable rate mortgages, um, you got, look, you got adjustable rate mortgages and you also got construction loans that generally people don't even have permanent financing in place before they even start a development project, a development project that takes years to get even accomplished. If you're doing, a 200 unit apartment project or development that's got to be rezoned, all these different things that could take, you know, two, three plus years uh, before you can even break ground on a project like that. Um, I think this is going to lead to some catastrophic moments for a lot of people that don't have a seat or they don't have the liquidity uh, to create sustainability long term. And last thing I know I'm going long, but last thing uh, on commercial loans for people who have commercial loans, if you're talking to banks right now, you'll know this. Generally speaking, before you could get these loans at 70, 80% generally uh, of value. Right now, most of these banks won't loan past 60% on these large scale commercial projects, which means only developers who have heavy liquidity are able to take these down. So all these syndicators and stuff like that, I think RJ just mentioned these people that got into the business over the years. Look, I hope when the music stops, everybody's got a seat. 
Well, and I think the people that are going to feel the pain are the people that did buy into syndications and are just the, the passive investors. I mean, ultimately, those are the ones that are going to lose their tails on this. I mean, that realistically, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I read something, Potter, that said that he fled the country. Is that correct? Correct. And yes. He, he dipped out of the country. Um, I actually went a little bit deeper on it. Company website shut down uh, the whole thing. Like, I mean, literally, it's like, dude, vanished. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, how much did he owe? Like, how much he like outside the uh, bank? Like, two, private money? 229 million. Yeah, I'd hide too. Yeah, almost 300 million. Yeah, you yeah, got to gotta jump overseas at that point, man. I don't know what else you do. Yeah. I mean, this is a terrible situation because... RJ, I think you said it, man. Apartment investing and development has been so speculative over the last five years uh, that people are just building or have been building rather any and everything they can get their hands on. Uh, I mean, people are throwing up units literally all over the place, squeezing them on any parcel they can get it on. This, and, that, and the uh, third. This, that, and the third, man. <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to Steve. Shout out to non-extradition treaty company or countries. <laughs> I, I didn't understand it. I mean, I'm I'm pretty simple when it comes to analyzing and underwriting real estate. And there were some of these deals that were coming across my desk and I'm looking at it going, I don't understand how this makes money. Like, where do we make money? And now, I mean, like you said, musical chairs. <laughs> if you if you guy. could just refer to one of the earlier episodes of PTD where I made the argument that multifamily is not designed to cash flow, but it's designed to flip, we could just refer to that episode. Many, many. Well, it was um, episode one. To... <laughs> episode um, one. But you know what's even uh, interesting to me because I, I I was aware of the three, five, seven year arms of the balloon payment. I was aware of that. What I was not aware of was variable rate uh, financing. Floating I didn't rates. know about this product, right? Floating rates. I did. I was not aware of this product until Pace kind of filled me in when I was talking to him because, you know, he's buying multifamily or getting ready to buy a bunch. He said there was one apartment complex when the Fed rate hikes occurred. He went from $80,000 a month cash flow to 1600 Jeez. There you right? go. So you just imagine, like, all these other operators. That's a pretty significant punch in the gut in your pocketbook. Well, so. especially when you've got investors that you've, uh, you know, uh, you're supposed to be allocating quarterly returns to, uh, it yeah. definitely starts to get a bit spicy. Yeah. That's that, that's that syndication side that you were just talking about CJ. That's, uh, it's, de it's definitely not a good thing. Um, and yeah, this is probably the tip of the iceberg on this side. Um, this round, going to go ahead and start off uh, giving the point to uh, Brewer. Like I said, he went a little bit deeper. I also really like uh, CJ throwing out the 74% down. Um, some other fun facts as well. Uh, within the next 24 months on commercial as well as multifamily, there is $1.4 that is actually set to either expire or it needs to reset and refinance. So it'll be something interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, can we just do a couple of things real quick? I just want to call BS on Eric and Chris, right? They allegedly don't do any research before the show. And they, seem, <laughs> and, and they sound Leon-esque on, on the questions. I just, want to, I just want to share that before we go to the next question. No, the reason I know this is because I'm looking at or was looking at investing in a 200 unit in Atlanta, uh, you know, uh, with somebody else uh, that is the operator. And then number two, and locally here this morning, an article came out about this exact topic. Uh, in our local business paper. Uh, so I was kind of, you know, just fresh on the facts. Um, so, you know, shout out to Steve for uh, being a speculative <laughs> investor about Eric and I's comments. Mm, partial credit. All right. Next up, what is your takeaway on Blackstone raising more than $30 billion for their most recent real estate fund? Go ahead and start us off, Eric. I know this is your favorite question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, why wouldn't you, right? Like anybody that's anticipating an opportunity to buy discounted real estate should be. We've been talking about it. When these opportunities come along, I mean, there's about to be, apparently there was no bids at the foreclosure auction on these 3,000 units in Houston, right? Um, more than likely because the reserve was too high or, you know, whatever the circumstances were. But the reality is, is that real estate is going to be sold at a discount to somebody at probably 30 cents on the dollar. 
if you can buy it for a hundred million and the debt owed was 250 million and the value is closer to three, why wouldn't you buy it, right? So someone can buy it, renovate it, stabilize it, um, and it'd be a great portfolio to own, uh, particularly if you buy it and can stabilize it based on today's interest rates. So why wouldn't they, right? Like they're preparing for a big opportunity. And if this is the tip of the iceberg, like we said on the previous question, they're in a phenomenal position to take down a lot of these assets. Um, so no surprise. Um, I think they're doing the right thing and building a war chest. And I would imagine they're going to be able to take uh, advantage of a lot of these opportunities that come along. Reserve on that just for anybody that's curious, was 196 mil. That's where the uh, banks were at on it. Why All right, RJ, me? what are what are your thoughts about Blackstone raising, uh, you know, like 1% of the national debt? <laughs> uh, shout out to CJ for still reading the newspaper. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, First and foremost, I think just on the tail end of the last question, it's not a surprise that Blackstone's doing this. I mean, it, they're raising it because of the opportunities that are going to be coming their way. Um, and what I thought it was interesting when I was reading about this is, is that it's to avoid, they're not going to be buying any commercial or malls or anything like that. It's specific for rental units. So case in point, this multifamily that's you know being foreclosed on. I, I foresee them coming in and just like Eric said, uh, buying up as many units as they possibly can at 30 cents on the dollar because exactly what Eric said, why wouldn't they? Good insight, good insight. Clearly uh, RJ's reading the newspaper as well. All right, CJ, what about you? What are your thoughts on, uh, on Blackstone coming in? Yeah, so Blackstone is a conglomerate, right? They're like, I think like top three or four uh, private equity firms, uh, period. Uh, 30 billion is a substantial, obviously, amount of money. They're looking to allocate this towards single family. Uh, I think it speaks to the environment. I think it speaks to the market. I think our job as investors is really to pay attention to what uh, companies this size are actually doing uh, and, and getting signed of some, some piggyback action on it in terms of, I made a post, I think about this yesterday. I think opportunity is gonna come back to really you know push deals and move deals to funds here in the, uh, the next, you know, probably 12 months or so uh, as they start to step back in and really start to pick up property. But, you know, ultimately, man, uh, I think this is just the ecosystem doing what it does. Uh, a company doesn't become Blackstone uh, if they have, you know, don't have sound analysts, sound investments, sound strategy. And uh, single family assets became an asset class after the Great Recession. And uh, I hate to break it to everybody that doesn't realize this yet, but, uh, you know, middle America is up for sale and the hedge funds want to buy it. Uh, and they want to turn us into a rental based society. And that's just what, you know, just what we're, we're, we're stacked up against at the moment. All right, Steve, what are your thoughts on, uh, on Blackstone and their next move? Uh, I'm, super, I'm super excited, right? I mean, it gives me a massive vote of confidence. Um, you know, a, co a couple of friends and I have been talking about, Hey, like, let's get the game back together. Uh, you know, back when Blackstone was buying a bunch of houses, you know, we were able to create a bunch of quality relationship sh relationships and we're having active conversations like, hey, you know, you guys did it last time working for Blackstone, but you, you were inside those rooms. You're connected. You know exactly all the processes, all the mistakes. Why don't we just get back together and just start a fun together? And so we're actually having active conversations about this. And seeing Blackstone doing this gives us a vote of confidence that we were at least having the right idea. So I, I am super excited about this, uh, about Blackstone raising all this money. CJ, did you see something that specifically said it was for single family? Because I saw rental units, but I didn't see single family. No, nah, so maybe, maybe I made the assumption when I saw rental units. But I, I do know that Blackstone is behind a lot of funds that have been aggressively over the last couple of years. Uh, picking up a substantial amount of single family. Like, are you sure about that, class. Chris? I thought it was predominantly Black Rock, not Blackstone. No, nah, Blackstone is heavy in commercial, I think, and single family because they're, they're, okay. these people are raising. It's, they're not. They're raising and funding other funds as well. So they raise this right. thirty billion, and they go then make placements in other funds also with that yeah. thirty billion. Yeah, my understanding was that a lot of the funds they're buying right now were being funded by Black Rock, which is just a, you know, someone else that that did well at Blackstone. It's like, hey, let me make another fun and just compete against these guys. And I thought Blackstone's kind of been taking a back seat 
most of this time, I could be completely wrong, uh, but Blackstone was the one. They were the fund that was buying from 2009 to 2014. Like, if I had a deal off market, I called <laughs> Blackstone first. I had a short sale, we called Blackstone first. I got a listing on a, a, a on a bank owned property. I'm calling Blackstone or another one, uh, Brian Bear, the owner of Offerpad at that time. You know, he was answering my calls. I call him first, right? Like, it's just Empire Residential Opportunity Fund, baby. I I love selling to them. (laughs) I just want to point out that right now, the person that is winning this round is Leon G. Barnes. So shout out to Leon. DJ? DJ. CJ. Do you think that they're raising this thirty billion to uh, build affordable housing in San Francisco? <laughs> no, no, no. I, you know, per, perhaps not. Perhaps not. But he, I'll, I'll educate you a bit, real fast. Uh oh. Uh oh. Let's go. You, you All right. Fifteen minute. People, fifteen minute rant. Time it. No, nah, people like R.J. Bates the third and the rest of the panel uh, don't start taking affordable housing serious. Um, look, you guys are in for a rude awakening, man. You guys will figure it out later. I know you don't read the paper, clearly. All right, you get your news from Facebook news feeds, like most of your friends. All right, this is where you guys get your news. Maybe Parler or something like that. I don't know. All right. But RJ doesn't you know, read it unless it's marked misinformation. No, that, no, that's definitely RJ for sure. I get that's my news RJ from sure. Twitter. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, that, that speaks volumes. <laughs> wow. Uh, outstanding. Listen. I'm not, I'm not discounting the affordable housing concerns. I'm just saying we had a conversation earlier uh, in our office. I'm not as concerned about affordable housing. I'm not afford. I'm not concerned about you know climate change. Look, I would be surprised if our species is still around in five years if you read all the stuff about AI. So that's for me. That's my number one fear. Shout out to China, bro. That, Shout that's, out to China. <laughs> that's a that's our topic next week. Is is AI? Couple things that I wanted to point out on this question before. Um. Yes, they are. This portfolio is actually going to be on logistics, uh, rental housing, hospitality, lab office, and and data centers. Um, they're shifting away from traditional office and anything commercial, malls, things like that. Um, the other thing is, and this is something that maybe we need to have on a future show. As much as I don't think people want to admit this, I think the hedge funds are creating affordable housing, and that's probably my most unpopular opinion. Um, that being said, going to go ahead and give this round uh, over to Steve. Steve, you're going to get the point this round because you sold everything to BlackRock. Good job. Thank you. All right. Last. But s- to the problem. <laughs> Absolutely. Last, certainly not least, this one comes from our audience. Uh, thank you. Let's see. Who was it? I think it was Deandra. Um, what is the difference between a leader and a boss? Start us off, Steve. Um, I think a boss is what you think of as as far as like, you know, the 20th century manager who just tells you what to do uh, and potentially gives, takes all the credit for the work. Right. And that's kind of what the boss does. Like, here's what I want you to do. And I'm not going to give you any support or anything along those lines. A leader creates an environment for you to, to thrive in your genius zone. Right. Like what you want to do is you want to help you want to help lead people to succeed in their own way. So you got to find their strengths, identify their weaknesses as well, and try to provide as much opportunity for them to win and serve their purpose operating inside their genius zone. So where they win and they're winning helps the company win. That's, a, that's what I say a leader does. All right. Next up, Eric, what, what are your thoughts on boss versus leader? Man, I feel like we could talk about this for an hour. Um, Generally speaking, bosses tell people what to do. Leaders teach people um, how to to do things, right? Um, They also uncover the best out of people where bosses, um, I read a really good article, not in the newspaper, CJ, I think it was online somewhere, but an article (laughs) that talked about typically as bosses, we bring three people in, interview them for the same job. We hire the smartest person, right? And then we tell them how to do everything. It's 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 a broken um, way that we typically manage uh, people. You hire the smartest person, then you completely suppress um, any creative thinking or problem solving that they have. It's it's a broken way to to manage or or, or lead people. So generally, I think bosses are just um, very eager to to get their point across and have people follow their lead. Leaders are almost the opposite. 
um, they're allowing other people to sort of pave the way and supporting them um, as they go along. Awesome. Awesome. Um, RJ, what are your thoughts? Boss versus leader. Well, last round was a perfect example of this. See, I was a leader by going out and doing the research on giving the correct answer. And Potter was a boss by then pretending to... <laughs> by That's pretending your mute to look button, at his bro. Reading my answer back to the audience as if they didn't hear me, and then giving the point to Steve. That's that's being a boss right there. No, I mean, <laughs> I think the guy said it right there. Um, leaders lead by example, and and also understand what the team is going through. Uh, the boss sits back, doesn't necessarily understand what they're they're going through, and kind of dictates what they're wanting. Um, I don't think many people want to be considered a boss. Um, so if you feel like that's what you're being considered in your office space, then you're probably making mistakes and you're not a good leader. Thank you for that insight, RJ. We really appreciate it as always yeah. here on Pardon the Disruption. Good job, boss. <laughs> way, way to be a leader. Um, <laughs> CJ, go ahead and lead us into some more discussion. What you got on this well, one? First and foremost, shout out to Die Acquisitions. Thank you for everything you do for myself and Charged Up. Uh, I think leadership is about getting in the trenches. Uh, if you're a leader, you walk around, you walk alongside your people, uh, you you lead from the front, and uh, you you know you're not afraid to get your hands dirty. You got to be a general that's ready to go to the front line uh, at all times to make things happen and get things done. I agree with what Eric said. A boss is generally somebody that's bossing people around, telling people what to do. Uh, not trying to do much of anything themselves. Uh, I think that's the beauty of small businesses, though, uh, is that you do see a lot of leadership in most successful small businesses uh, because most people start out as one-person shows and then they have to grow and remove themselves from these different spots over time uh, as the company grows. And I think that takes leadership to be able to do that. Everybody on this panel uh, you know, has been in business for a really long time. And I think that speaks to everybody's leadership uh, in, in some shape or form. Because uh, you got to be able to lead to, to be able to sustain things for a while. I guess as this came from the audience, I, how do you identify if you are being a leader or a boss inside of your own company? I think you got to create a culture where people will tell you. You know, like if you're handling things incorrectly, if you're you're not willing to get your hands dirty, if uh, you're just pointing left and right and telling people what to do at all times and, and not stepping up to fill gaps. Uh, I think you got to have an environment and a culture where people are willing to have that conversation with you and sit you down and say that. Uh, I know anybody that I'm ever doing business with, partnering with on something, et cetera. I don't want them to feel like I'm not willing to get in the mix. Uh, Eric said this a couple of weeks ago, and I really love that he said this. I'm the exact same way. Like, I'll get on the phone. Like, I'll go look at a property. Like, I don't want to lose that part of myself. Regardless, shout out to my bank account. I don't want to lose that part of myself. <laughs> Uh, you know, at, at any, at any, at any point as I, as I progress professionally, like I still want to be able to go sit at somebody's kitchen table and work a deal and show how to do, how to get that done. So there's two things I just want to point out real quick. First, I mean, the fact that RJ discovered in this episode that complaining about the person he's upset about is therapeutic and then him doing it to Matthew Potter on the same episode, like that is like next level awareness. And then also uh eric's talking about he's how he can talk about leadership for an hour i think he's a liar uh he can talk about it for much much longer because we actually did an almost two hour episode so you go back to real estate disruptors he talks about almost two hours about leadership and you know i have the great honor of calling eric a friend and i've seen him grow so much in the last three years and his leadership qualities and skills and he's even led me a few different times and like hey check out this resource and and actually talked me through some difficult situations. So when he says he can talk about it for an hour, you can talk about it for much more than that. For proof, go back to my last episode with Real Estate Disruptors with Eric Brewer. Is that it? We got nothing else? That was kind of a mic drop moment. I think we were it, just it was. Have it. It, yeah. I, well, CJ's a shitty boss, but that's it. Chat. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to CJ being a shitty boss. Yeah. Uh, all right. On that round, I 
I love everybody's input on this. Obviously, we're pretty much all in agreement, with the exception of RJ um, talking some shit to me. So clearly, he's not going to get this point. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it out to uh, to my to my man Eric Brewer coming to us from York, Pennsylvania, on the AOL dial-up over there. And now, because of this, we have a tie. And I'm not saying that I can easily be influenced, but my new hat is the shit. So guess who won this episode? It's Eric Brewer, dude. Like that that's, that's all it takes. Shout out to CJ. It's been about that's leadership six months. Right there. Shout, shout out to CJ. It's been about six months. Still don't have any U gear. Um RJ, when are we opening up right. the titanium vault, bro? Like let, let's get down to it. Like, come on, man. In all no, seriousness. We gotta get you right. We gotta get you right. That's right. Well, does, does RJ have enough subscribers though for you to come on to the show? He's almost there. <laughs> I love RJ. RJ RJ's glowing today. I love him. I love him. Look at him there. All right. Real talk. Had a ton of fun today. Shout out to our sponsor, uh, 10X TV. That's 10X TV. That is with Tony Javier. All right. Go ahead and send us out, Eric. Talk to us. Uh, yeah, today was fun. Uh, it's good to get everybody back together. I feel like this might be the first time in a while we've had the original squad together. Um, so it was good to see everybody's face. Um, not sure if anybody knows it, but CJ also um, talked about affordable meditation uh, earlier on today. So now he's migrating from affordable housing to affordable meditation. Um, if you get a chance, go back and listen to it. He gave you the exact URL that you could visit you to go. get discounted meditation. So um, if you have any uh, interest, I'm sharing with uh, a small group of people currently how I'm seeing wholesaling change. Um, I'm teaching people how to utilize innovations um, to grow their business. Um, go to brewermethod.com if you want to learn more. Awesome. Awesome. RJ, it's been a blast. Go ahead and send us out, boss. Yeah, another uh, part of the disruption where I'm highly disappointed in Potter's judging yeah. ability. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always glad that i can be the reason why we have sound effects uh i appreciate that um shout out to chris jefferson and steve train for being on my podcast and adding absolutely zero value that's why i don't have enough subscribers to have eric brewer yet or magic potter and uh last but not least shout out to san francisco man <laughs> Shout out to RJ has not hit me with the link yet to be on his podcast. So that's on you, bro. The ball is in your court. CJ, go ahead and talk to us from Virginia. Man, man, we got to get RJ's VAs to hit subscribe on his YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get the views up, my boy. I got you, man. You look charged up is going to come through and get you right, man. All right, we're going to get you right. Uh, but no, Chris Jefferson, man, it's been a blast as always. It's always good to hang out with you guys. Uh, the original squad, as Eric said, uh, you know, uh, it's always fun. Uh, Potter, I don't know what's going on with the judging and what you and Steve got going on, uh, you know, behind the scenes. I don't look if he look if he's suge knighting you, bro, and hanging you <laughs> over the balcony by your ankles, man. Call the you, baby. Call the you. All right, we take care of our people over here, man. It's good. It's good. Uh, shout out to all the people watching, man. You know the vibes. Peace. CJ, I mean, <clears throat> we're really excited for next week for you to bring some better answers to the table. Dude. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate you trying to throw out the mat signal there, you know, with, <laughs> with, with my buddy Shug over in his office over there. I, right, wonder, I don't want him hanging you by the ankles, man. I know how Steve I, is, man. I, I, pr I appreciate that, man. I'm Like I said, I'm just waiting on you for some carne asada, bro. That's what I'm waiting on. <laughs> no doubt. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, Steve, uh, go ahead and send us out. Yeah, I see QB in here say, saying there's a whole lot of sneak dissing, but I see it's all love, and that's absolutely correct, right? A lot a lot of talking trash, but a lot of love. I mean, these guys were, are on the panel for a very specific reason. They're awesome business owners, they're great salespeople, and they're great trash talkers, and they don't get sensitive. So absolutely, QB, mm -hmm. that is spot on, and it's always fun. It's always a blast. So thank you, guys. For being here, for being on the show, making this engaging, making it interesting, and CJ, I'm sorry about your votes. <laughs> also, real quick, one more time, shout out to the team, Manny, Lias, everybody, looking fresh and clean today. Love it. 
We'll see you guys next Thursday. If you found value in this, like, subscribe, share, tell a friend, tell a family member. Get us all the way to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. We'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. <laughs>